Welcome to the Net Effects Podcast, where Les Ottolenghi and Mark Bavasoto break down how the Fortune 500, the hottest startups, and the best VCs succeed through digital, social, and personal transformation. And now, here are your show hosts, Mark Bavasoto and Les Ottolenghi. It's our pleasure to welcome Digital Transformation and Cloud Extraordinaire, the Head of Innovation and Product Strategy at Expedient, Mr. Mike Fulton. Hi, Mark. Welcome to the program, Mike. Thanks for having me, Mark. Thanks for having me, Les. We always start off every one of our podcasts. It's a feature called Unmasking the Executive, where we want to know a story that the world doesn't know about Mike that you can share with our audience. The thing I like to share, and there will be a few people that know this because I've been asked this question a couple of times before, but not many. I once participated in a World Series. Mm. So, <laughs> I, Okay, which it, World Series? We got to know. <laughs> it was back when I was 14. Uh, and it was kind of a gotcha. Little League World Series. Uh, it was actually, it wasn't even the Little League World Series. It was actually a knockoff of the Little League, uh, but we did actually, our team won our, our division, our league. We got to travel. The World Series back then was held in Detroit, Michigan. We were Dayton, Ohio, and so we got to travel to Detroit and play baseball on the big, cool stadium and had a lot of fun. Awesome. And you survived being in Detroit, obviously. So you guys obviously. were a little scrappy. Yeah. Uh-huh. Now, did you guys win? Did you win the World Series? We did not. Oh, no. We did not. We won a couple of games, but we did not win the whole thing. Well, listen, you're an Ohio State fan. You got a lot of wins behind you, no matter what. <laughs> we're, we're very lucky here at Ohio State. That is correct. <laughs> and you get to <laughs> you get to go to the Buckeye Stadium? I do. I, I am actually not only a fan, I'm also an alumni and a teacher. Oh, so I, I teach. One of the things I do is I teach an undergrad course called Managing Digital over at Ohio State. And then I actually have designed an entire digital transformation, executive education curriculum, working in partnership with Fisher College Business over at Ohio State. So Ohio State is near and dear to my heart. And yes, I enjoy football Saturdays when we're able to actually make it into the stadium. Yeah, it's an amazing program and a a storied history. We want to get to those courses you've designed and discuss uh, some of the digital transformation as you set it up for both the students and obviously the executives who take your courses. But uh, our audience, Mike, as you know, is consisted of people who are in enterprise IT at the manager level, senior manager, director, senior director, VP, et cetera, and looking for guidance in their career. We also have a number of subscribers to our podcast who are our startup founders, and they're looking at their career as well. You do a lot of work in both those areas, but uh, give us a little bit of the backstory on how you got from how you got to where you are today, and and what was that journey? I started out my career after an undergrad at Ohio State, an MBA at Bowling Green uh, State University. I went down to Procter & Gamble and started my career there. Procter & Gamble is a great training ground for anybody that's looking to learn, better understand leadership. And so it was a great place for me to be. I got a chance to do in my 20-year stint at PNG almost every job in IT throughout the time. Uh, kind of landed in that chief cloud architect, chief shared services architect yeah. role. I did both of those roles concurrently and uh, really enjoyed that opportunity to do enterprise architecture. One of the things I, I would coach 
people that are starting out or people that are mid-career is you really got to understand yourself and understand how the various jobs within the IT industry actually fit with the way that you think, the way that your mind works. And, and what I would say there, right, is my mind, I tend to be a big picture thinker. I tend to not do nearly as well with managing details and lists and all this kind of stuff. And what I found is as I went through all the various jobs within the IT industry, within the company at P&G, when I was a coder, I did fine and it was fun, but it wasn't great. When I was a project manager, I did fine, but it wasn't great. I wasn't having fun. And when I got into the enterprise architecture job where the work actually aligned with how my brain worked. What I found is that I really had a lot more fun with work day to day, right? Because the kind of job I was doing now was just a better fit with how I thought and it made work easier. And so really trying to find that fit with your passion, with how your brain works and what you can get excited about makes work worth coming into every single day. It makes work easier. It makes it almost seem like it's not work. And I was fortunate to find that towards the end of my time at PNG. The kind of next step in my career, uh, as I left PNG, I went off and I uh, got a chance to actually open up the Americas division for a global boutique consulting company that was headquartered over at Sydney, Australia. PNG is obviously a big global international company. This was a company that was much smaller, but it was very international. And so I got a chance to leverage all of those things that I had learned at PNG about working with people from different parts of the world, from different cultures. And I got a chance to bring that to my business on a day-to-day -day basis. Standing up the Americas division, it was me and then a couple of other folks that looked like me, that had the background that I had, that had that cultural upbringing that I had. Everybody else in the company had a different background, had a different point of view. And so I knew that I couldn't just assume that they thought the same way I thought because of my background at PNG. So I was able to leverage that. But it's something I think is really important for people to keep in mind is that as you work with people from different countries, from different cultures, they come with a different point of view. And that's a point of view that's incredibly valuable. But as, as you're entering into a conversation, you have to be open to hearing it and seeing it because it's really easy to just kind of walk right past it and miss it. Uh, if you're not open to hearing somebody else's perspective. No, that's an amazing background. I mean, there, there's a lot there, you know, because I think that there's probably in the minds of a lot of our listeners, like how do they develop their career? And, you know, you just said it, look, follow what you are not only passionate about, but you also know yourself well enough to say, okay, this is where I fit and this is where I can add the most value. Do you think that in your career, do you think that has changed for the enterprise IT manager or executive? In other words, have they become, is there a greater need to be more big picture as you see these major transformations happening in organizations? I think that probably one of the biggest transformations that's been happening over the last 15 years that we're all very familiar with is cloud, right? right. And, and I think what cloud has actually done is it's, it's required the enterprise IT manager to go up the stack, to be thinking about things that are more business oriented, to be driving a conversation around business outcomes in a way that five years ago, 10 years ago, we just didn't, right? I, I can't tell you how many times I've heard 
over the last five years in conversations uh, at all levels of organizations, people in IT talking about how are we going to drive the business outcomes here? And if you go back 10 years ago, you just didn't hear that those yeah. terms in IT very often, right? Unless you were at the absolute top of the company. Yep. It wasn't something that we thought about. And so I think cloud, because cloud is starting to take away some of the day-to-day infrastructure management, some of the base capabilities that we used to have to really pay a lot of attention to, and it's allowed us to move up the stack. I think it's required IT managers to get closer to the business to better understand where we're trying to go with the business. And I think the other one that's actually kind of coming along the same way is digital transformation. When we talk about digital transformation, one of the things I like to say here, right? So as we talked about, I teach this at Ohio State. And every single one of the classes that I teach there at Ohio State, I start off with a very simple definition of what is digital. And digital to me is leveraging technology and data to transform the customer experience and or the business model of an organization, right? So technology and data focused outside transforming the customer experience or the business model. Now, that's very different than how we've applied technology historically. For the first 50 years of technology, we've been applying it internally to companies on things that we can control right? We've been applying it to our operating model. We've not been applying it nearly as much to customer facing conversations, right? Right. And so as we've made this digital shift over the last five to 10 years, that's the other big thing that's pushed us as IT managers and leaders into better understanding what our customers are looking for, better understanding the dynamics of what does it mean to actually create a business model canvas to create and understand right. a customer journey. Digital transformation is pulling us into those kinds of conversations those are in a all, way we never have before. Yeah, those are all incredible definitions. I mean, it is one of those struggles we hear all the time on the podcast. Uh, what is the definition of digital transformation? I think that's one of the best ones I've ever heard. Now, when I see somebody that is in the corporate world and they then have their time spent in kind of the education sector, I get really excited about that. You know, I'm an education buff. I love that side of the world. And I want to dive more into, you know, what you're doing at Ohio State around digital transformation for the couple of programs you're doing there. Can you tell us, just dive a little bit, you can mention more of a high level, but really dive into how you create these courses that will engage kids, right? I mean, essentially, or engage older people in general, right? It's hard to engage people, especially in education. It's got to be fun. It's got to be entertaining. So how do you go about creating your curriculum to really engage your students? That's a great question, Mark. And I do want to just also say that we only made it halfway through my career journey. So I do want to come back and hit on a couple more things that we've gone to there. But the idea of It's actually a good point to answer this question because when I was at CCNC and doing the consulting thing, we also did a lot of training. And in fact, we were at the time one of, if not the world's largest enterprise architecture training provider. And so we did a lot of this sort of course development, curriculum development. We were targeted at the mid-career professional. And what I would tell you to answer your question, right, is that There's a lot of things you can do when you think about training or teaching inside of an organization to executives, but you have to think about it differently when you start talking about 
teaching undergrads. When you're in that world of the university and teaching to undergrads, you have to figure out ways to create a curriculum that can be useful immediately when they walk in the door to that enterprise, regardless of the size of the enterprise, anywhere from a startup to a Fortune 50 company, how are you going to teach them things that they can use and have be valuable to them as they walk in the door? So that's the first thing you have to kind of work through. And then the second thing is, how do you help them connect with it? Because it's one thing to share information when you're talking to somebody that's been in the IT industry for 10, 15 years, like we would with our, uh, our TOGAF training, they've got a, an experience set they can lean on and kind of look back at. And you have a decent idea of what their experience set is going to be having been through a similar sort of experience. When you're talking to undergraduate students, even seniors, which is what my Ohio State course is targeted at, those kids maybe have an internship, maybe two but that's the sum total of their experience set. So how do you give them an opportunity to connect to the content? And that's really through exercises, through case studies, through labs, through group activities, group projects. You have to come up with ways to not only figure out what the content needs to be, to be able to tell the story, but then to be able to help them engage in the learning in a way that they can actually connect with it, even if they don't have that experience set to drop. When you look at it from an undergrad's perspective, and let's talk about what, you know, if it's being seniors, you know, we've, we've, with the pandemic going on, I'm assuming that a lot of this has gone to remote, right? These courses. And so what has changed for you and your approach going from, you know, I'm assuming, and tell me if I'm wrong, in person to then remote learning? For me, the biggest thing was when I'm standing in front of a classroom, I can engage and kind of pull people into the conversation pretty easily. When I'm in front of a Zoom call with 20 people on the other side of the Zoom, (laughs) it's a little bit harder to pull everybody in, especially if you're presenting and you got your slides up here and you got to have like three or four different monitors to be able to see everybody. And it's really, really hard to understand who's connecting and who isn't, especially if people aren't on video or they're muted or all these other things. So you have to figure out ways to be intentional about pulling people into the conversation. And so what I found that when I shifted from in-person to remote, I immediately had to go back and take all of my coursework and reconfigure all of it. And basically every single course, I had to inject two or three different group exercises to get people talking to each other in a different way Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and to get people talking to me in a different way. Things that they might do naturally when coming together in a classroom, but when they weren't forced to do that coming together in a classroom, you had to come up with ways to do that remotely. That was the biggest change. I swear we'll get back to your background here. Uh, and one question just popped in my mind when you were kind of talking here is I coach and I coach hockey and we've done some Zoom type lessons, right? And it can be painful, right? We're talking about 15, 16 year olds at this point, but it can be painful trying to engage them mostly because kids these days 
they learn a different way. Their attention spans are a lot smaller, right? Mm-hmm. They they want that information rapid and you can only hold their attention for a short amount of time. So when you're kind of creating that curriculum side of things and you're doing those things, is that something that you keep in mind? Like just like where they are from a, a technology standpoint and then from a mindset standpoint? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely have to do that. But I think it's true, not just for kids. I think it's true for adults too. Okay. And I've, whether it was the undergrad content I was teaching, whether it was the exec ed content I was teaching, or even when it comes to how I run a meeting in my day-to-day, I have to think about how I run my meetings differently too. I have to think about how I'm engaging people differently throughout my meetings. I have to shorten the length of my meetings Mm -hmm. because I don't have people's attention span for nearly as long. I have to give people that opportunity to kind of get up from their chair and walk around a little bit. I can't tell you how many times I've had conversations throughout the pandemic with people about how there was this natural built-in break as you would go from conference room to conference room, meeting to meeting, you had that transit time, right? Where you could have a conversation, you were walking with somebody, you could have that conversation with them, or you could make a stop in the restroom if you had to, or whatever. Just these things that in this new Zoom environment aren't built in anymore. And so you have to be intentional about that, whether you're teaching or whether you're just running a meeting. And when you have looked at this approach within your own company, and and if you don't mind, tell us a little bit more about Expedient and what you do and and how you help provide value in terms of digital transformation with the cloud. Have you found that these approaches are very successful internally? In other words, that, that the culture now uh, accepts it. And I'll use just as a, a point of reference or frame of reference, this whole cultural approach, process approach that is now out in the public eye about Amazon. This, this book, Working Backwards, it was just published. Have you found that your academic efforts, your coaching efforts, your, your cultural shift and change has been effective in your company? And also tell us a little bit about your company, Expedient. So to answer your question, yes. I do think that some of the things that we're talking about have been effective inside my company. And so to kind of get you to caught up to where I am today, um, after I left the consulting company, um, I joined Nationwide, which is in Nationwide Insurance for all those UK listeners you might have. We're not Nationwide (laughs) Building Society. And I was part of the technology innovation and strategy team there. I was brought in to help stand up a technology innovation team. I was brought in to help re-engineer, rethink how we were doing technology strategy and how we would think about our technology operating model. And so I had great fun doing that at Nationwide for about four years. Got to build some really cool new products that made it into market. Got to build some really cool new products that did make it into market. Um, IoT, AR, VR, all sorts of, of different things that we were experimenting with. But after four years of doing that, I joined my current company, Expedient. And here at Expedient, it's actually been a really fun shift for me because after almost 25 years of being on the IT side of the house, I actually went into product strategy and innovation at a public cloud provider, at a high-tech company. And so now I'm no longer in IT. I'm actually the business, which has been a really interesting shift for me that I, I didn't necessarily pick up on just how dynamic that shift was going to be as I came into the company. And so to your point, one of the things that we've been doing here at Expedient is we've been making some changes to 
how we bring new products to market. And so there's been a component of taking what I have learned throughout my career at all these various stops, whether it's from the innovation R&D department over at P&G, or whether it's from uh, my time doing the consulting when I did some of the chief digital officer work or worked with various clients, or whether it's my innovation work at Nationwide, I kind of have brought all of those things in and then worked with the team here at Expedient to figure out how do we take what I have from a process around product development and then kind of meld that with the existing process that we had to create a new and improved way to build out new products. And so that's been kind of an exercise in culture, understanding the culture I was walking into, organizational change management, and then bringing in some of these new ideas, things like the need to leverage the design thinking model of desirability, viability, and feasibility, and trying to validate a new product idea against each of those three illities before we take it to market versus um, having a new product idea and really making decisions based on what are our customers going to pay for, right? A lot of the decision-making around our new products before actually was, was based on, well, uh, we've got a first best customer and we're going to build what the customer wants and then go figure out how to sell it to everybody else. So it's a different approach when you're trying to drive a little bit more innovation, a little bit more upfront market sensing into the process. And it requires uh, a change in culture and a change in mindsets. And those change in culture and change in mindsets kind of fits with some of the culture change you have to go through when you're trying to undergo a digital transformation. So it fits with what I teach. And so Expedient does what exactly? So we're an enterprise cloud company. And so basically what we do is we have two main offerings that I would talk about. The first is a a multi-cloud set of universal services that allows IT managers to manage cloud workloads across all of the different locations that they might want to be able to to store them in, Uh, whether that's a hyperscale provider like an AWS, um, Azure, or Google, or whether that's an enterprise cloud provider like us. We have our own public cloud that we offer that is targeted very specifically at steady state VMware-based workloads, or uh, these multi-cloud universal services also allow you to manage your on-premise data centers and the workloads that are living there. So it allows you to kind of bring that cloud operating model into your organization, regardless of where you're at on that continuum from data center to hyperscale. And does that allow the organization to, as you said, sort of remove the burden of managing all this infrastructure and really focus on the business? Is that is that the end game with this, is to get you to be more nimble, if not agile? Yeah, absolutely. What we talk about at Speed, and you kind of see in my background, over there, yeah. uh, is this idea of cloud different. And we're pushing the idea that you need to cloud smarter, cloud safer, and cloud simplified. And that's really driven by the fact that we sat down uh, about six months ago as, as I was coming into the company, and we said, what are the things that are slowing our clients down? What's preventing them from getting to the digital transformation that they're driving for? And 
what we were seeing was that a companies were stumbling into multiple clouds and multiple clouds was leading to higher and higher levels of complexity. And so because they were in multiple clouds, whether it's they chose one provider and then they brought in somebody else because of an acquisition or they picked AWS, for example, but they also are doing Office 365. So now they got a little bit of an Azure sidecar to make Office 365 work ideally. Whatever the reason might be, we were seeing clients would have two, three, four, five different clouds along with their on-premises environments. And they were struggling to understand which of my applications are best suited for each cloud. And so the first element of Cloud Smarter is really about how do you help companies use data to figure out what's the best place to put their workloads, right? And so that's the first element of this. The second element was a lot of companies we looked at it were being very cautious about the cloud because they were scared about security. It's the big thing you always hear. And so how can we help you cloud safer? And the idea here really is we were going to create a curated set of best of breed security technologies. We were going to make sure that you had everything that you needed. We were going to make sure that those that security stack was integrated and would work seamlessly together. We're going to make sure that security stack would work across any and all of your clouds. And the idea here was we want you to manage by policy and you're going to manage your security policy the same way across whichever cloud it might be. If you're managing each cloud individually, the likelihood of you making mistakes goes up dramatically. And so by having that single set of security policies that you're going to manage to, it's going to decrease your risk footprint and allow you to uh, keep your cloud safer. Now, the other thing that we talk about in the cloud safer space is you've probably heard people say it's not a matter of if, but when, when yep. right? There are so many people that are attacking us and there's such a risk in all of our environments related to cybersecurity that you need to have a plan when something inevitably does go wrong. Right. And so making sure that you've got the right backups, you've got the right data encryption, you got the right disaster recovery across all of your clouds is also critical to making sure that your cloud's safer. So when we talk to clients, we always talk about both elements. What's the security stack? And what's the recovery mechanism if something bad does happen? And then the third element that we talk about is cloud simplified. And that's really to the point of what we were talking about a minute ago, Less, How do we make life easier given the complexity of operating across multiple clouds? And it's that single pane of glass driving out the automation across clouds, eliminating operations work wherever we can that allows our IT managers, our IT resources to focus on, move closer to the business outcomes we're after, and to drive those digital transformations faster. And so we think it's those three things that actually help organizations accelerate their digital transformations. And that's what we're focused on is trying to provide solutions across all three of those. So they become unencumbered from this burden of all this infrastructure, security, and frankly, cloud, even cloud management, because you can go multi-cloud yep. and you can use cloud as an operating platform. So does this change then the way as you get aligned to the business that the enterprise IT organization is actually organized? In other words, 
do they listen to what you describe even internally now <laughs> with your own company, but with, uh, with your clients to where they say, look, now I can focus on the business. I can be a product innovator. And, and if they do that, what form does that take? Are they single threaded teams focused on a product and they're autonomous because they don't have to have all these dependencies now that they've got cloud as a platform or do they still have to do a lot of coordination and there's still a lot of friction and it's, you know, not as fast as it needs to be. What, what, what usually happens? Cloud is a fairly foundational undertaking for your digital transformation. And so I see organizations taking that step after they've got their cloud transformation well underway. But what I have seen in many, many different companies is this move to the concept or the idea of digital product management. And what we find in the concept of digital product management is that companies are bringing together the resources, the individuals uh, in a cross-functional fashion to drive under the leadership of a mini CIO, so to speak, the digital product manager, a new product into the market, really understanding what the customer needs are, being driven by experimentations directly with our customers. And in fact, this idea of reorganizing your team into uh, digital product management is at the heart of that undergrad class I was talking to you about. We leverage an industry body of knowledge called the Digital Practitioners Body of Knowledge. And that body of knowledge actually walks you through 12 different capability areas that you need to know. And uh, those capability areas emerge with the growth of your digital product. So capability area number 12, for example, is enterprise architecture. Right. And the idea is that when you are two people in a garage and working as a startup, you don't need to have an enterprise architecture. You have one, but you don't have to write it down. Your enterprise architecture is turn your chair around, talk to the person on the other side of the garage, <laughs> yeah. have a conversation and go forward, yep. right? So it's implicit, it's not explicit. And But you do, you better damn well have a code repository. You better damn right. well have an infrastructure. You better damn well know how you're going to gain value out of this digital product that you're building, how your customers are going to gain value, right? So the idea is that these capabilities emerge over time rather than being things that you have to have all at once. Right. And so that model is becoming more and more prevalent throughout organizations that I see and that I talk to. Definitely the organizational structure of digital products uh, and structuring around a digital product, but even some of the emergence as well. Well, in this podcast, you know, we talk about a lot about digital transformation, but we also talk about social transformation and personal transformation. You know, arguably we've been going through an era of social transformation. Have you seen Anything when you look at your clients or even internally for your own organization where there's been a cultural shift because there's maybe the digital side of the world is pushing a cultural shift or this ability to be always connected, a network effect pushes a cultural shift. But do you think there are certain organizations that now thrive and are better because they take into account social transformation, whatever that may mean, better connected workers? Uh, more socially aware workers or employees and team members, or is it something else? There's a whole lot to unpack in that question. <laughs> um, if I think about kind of the cultural shift that's being driven by digital, 
For me, what I see there is we're really going from this mindset of, uh, with from an IT perspective of, we know where we're heading. We are kind of, we're a manufacturing plant building the IT products, right? That's the mindset we used to have. And when we were building out HR systems or accounting systems, that was probably good enough. But now we're moving to this world where we're interacting with the customer and we're, that customer may be a hundred million different people around the world. We don't know what they want. We don't know what they're going to do with our product. So we have to now experiment. Right. We're no longer doing manufacturing. We're doing R&D. And that fundamental shift to me is the biggest cultural change that I have seen being driven in the digital world. And I, I think it's not one that is completely understood yet, but I think it's a really, really important one. When you hear people talk about, hey, we need to experiment, we need to fail faster, blah, blah, blah. That's all driven by this new R&D world that we live in and that need to better understand our customers and learn from them in, uh, over time. The social aspects of that, that one I find really challenging personally to talk to. I'm, I'm not an expert on that topic. What I would say that I have seen an awful lot of though that I think is is really important on the social side and, and an area that I am actually pretty passionate about is, is the idea that we have to do more when it comes to bringing along people in the technology field that don't look like us, right? And I look at yep. the three of us on the podcast here, and unfortunately, we're all three white males. And technology as an industry is not real great at this. Right. And it's not been great historically. We're getting better. But we have to continue to pay attention to this. We have to continue to figure out how to get more opportunities for people of color. We have to figure out how to get more opportunities for women in technology. And I think that's something I think is really, really important. I've started to see more and more action on that front over the last couple of years, which I think is a tremendous positive. Uh, but we have to do better. Let's talk about, let's get to know Mike a little better, Mike Fulton a little better from personal okay. side. So when we're all going through, you know, a unique period in our time that a lot of us, all of us, I should say, are going to remember for a very long time. And so when you look deep within yourself, you know, how have you kind of personally transformed yourself, whether that's a father, a husband, or a leader within your organization? One of the things that with this pandemic that I have tried to do and, and still could do better at is spend more time with my kids right now we're all kind of forced to to do some of that being here in the house but i have a sophomore in college and i have two seniors in high school the end of the road is near i'm an empty nester here in just a few months <laughs> so trying to get that time actually there's there's a big part of it where the pandemic with all of the bad things that it has brought with it there has been some positives in that I've gotten to spend more time with my kids than I would have otherwise had. And it's been nice to be able to take advantage of that and see that. It's also been one of those things where investing in yourself is also something I've been able to do a little bit more of than I was able to do previously. Actually, this, this, I talked a little bit about the digital executive education program that we stood up at Ohio State. We started that back in March of 2020, 
if it hadn't been for the pandemic and the fact that I wasn't going to soccer games and baseball games and everything else, I don't know that we could have pulled off what we pulled off there, right? That ability to do some of those things over and above the day job that are fun, are interesting, maybe give back to the community a little bit, maybe give back to yourself. I mean, I've really enjoyed standing up that program, but what I have learned personally, my knowledge and understanding of digital and digital transformation is 10 times better than it was a year ago, just because I've had to be able to be in front of several hundred people over the course of the last year, teaching them how to think about this and how to do this, right? It's challenged me to think more deeply about it, to understand, to reflect on my experiences, to understand and learn from others. And so I think there's, there's take time, take time to spend with your family, take time to invest on that personal development have been kind of my big two learnings. Mike, I have to say, you know, listening to you on this podcast today, I would love to take your course. I mean, you said so much that I think codifies, well, well, seriously, what's what's been happening over the last 10 years, you kind of brought it to a seminal point in terms of the description and a level of detail, and obviously the practitioner side of this as well, that that I think is, is, you know, outstanding. I mean, it's really exemplary of how companies need to think. And I now, you know, spending some of the time in the pandemic myself, doing a lot of reading and so on, and reading my former uh, business school colleague's book, Working Backwards, I think a lot of the things you said are just well in alignment with how, let's say, Amazon became successful, but how a lot Mm -hmm. of companies that aren't startups that are, you know, already, you know, tendered businesses uh, who may have a, a legacy to them should start thinking and start adapting. And now also for their executives, even as you just described at a personal level, which kind of brings us to the last segment of our show. Our rapid fire questions, Mike. Mike, these are questions that we ask of all of our guests, different questions, but we ask a question that we want an answer that first thing that comes to your mind. So my first question to you is your favorite song that you sing at karaoke and you have to sing it. After <laughs> Hotel California, okay. that's, that's my favorite. All right, and, okay, here it goes. In a dark desert highway, that's all you're gonna get. I'm oh, gonna no, that oh, works. That, that works. That was pretty good. I gotta admit, that was good. I thought you were gonna go all the way with that one. That was very yeah. good. <laughs> well, that song's actually more about the air guitar than it is about the karaoke. Karaoke, I got you. Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, your favorite superhero and why? Actually, I've just started rewatching all of the uh, the Marvel MCU universe yeah. with my wife. We're about ten uh, movies into it, so we haven't hit this one yet. But it's still probably got to be Spider Man. Oh. I for whatever re- I was a nerd growing up. Peter Parker, I gravitated towards him. <laughs> uh, I loved the stories, so yeah, it's still Spider Man. Lots of great, great heroes throughout the Marvel and DC universe, but that's my favorite. All right. Favorite movie and actor or actress? Favorite movie has got to be The Godfather. Love The Godfather. Continue to go back to that one. Favorite actor. I'm going to have to say actor because my wife would probably get upset with me if I was naming my favorite (laughs) actor. Okay, we'll go with actor. (laughs) Um, So my favorite actor is probably Keanu Reeves. I, I love what he has done with some of his recent stuff. Yeah, I, I like. And he I seems like, like a good person too. I like the older Keanu Reeves, right? 
Yeah. I mean, it, it's, yeah, it's yeah. like, you can go like, okay, that's kind of cool. All the stuff that he does. And he, you know, he works out like crazy to do all the John Wick movies, which oh, I know I love the John Wick movies, John Wick fun. movies. You know, my son was watching and crying. I said, you know, I, I'd taken him to, to Reservoir Dogs. And I told him that's the last time I take you to those movies. He's only seven, but whatever. I'm kidding. Totally <laughs> joking. So uh, your favorite book? Uh, my favorite book, and I, I actually have like five copies of it here on my bookshelf, is The Phoenix Project. I yes, think it yes, is the yes, seminal yeah. book yep. for DevOps in, and IT. I tell every person I talk to uh, that's in an IT career or that I've mentored over the years, they need to read that book. So this is the, the part of the show where the audience is listening. Everyone's just waiting, waiting for this answer, waiting for this answer from Mike Fulton. The one piece of advice you would give our listeners that they should do in the next 12 months. Well, I think that's easy. Over the next 12 months, you have to continue to listen to NetEffects. <laughs> oh, there it is. Right? All there right. Is. There's yeah. so many great... <laughs> so many great episodes coming that uh, got to continue to listen in. But uh, seriously, um, invest in yourself, right? Invest in yourself, invest in your relationships. At the end of the day, that's what matters the most is, uh, is those relationships and kind of your personal journey. Uh, work will always be there. The people won't. So invest in those. Very good. want to thank Michael Fulton, Head of Innovation and Product Strategy at Expedient, and obviously the digital transformation expert that we're all waiting to hear from. Michael, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for being on the show, and I hope you will agree to come back on. I'd love to do it. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate thank it. Thank you. And that's been NetFX Podcast, where we examine digital transformation, social transformation, and personal transformation.